Good morning, everybody. You know, there's always a lot going on in people's lives when we get together on Sundays, and uh, it's a special Sunday for a couple people. Uh, where's Jake and Skyler? This is their last Sunday here with us. Today is their anniversary, one-year anniversary. Is that right? And uh, they are off to Cambodia later this week and um, headed there to do ministry, but also bring the Cambodians the wonderful gift and export from Boulder County of great beer. So <laughs> we're excited, excited to come visit and sample those things someday. But uh, you guys will be missed, and um, you've been a special part of our community for a long time, serving in lots of ways. So we'll miss you guys. And... Um, only Gabe's here, but Gabe and Nikki Alford got to bring a new baby home this week after a long stint in the hospital. We're really glad that um, Michaela Alford is home, and we've been, many of you have been praying for her, and um, we're, just, we're celebrating with them. You can keep praying for her. She's got some medical conditions, and they're trying to get a hold of her, her fast heartbeat um, so that she can stay home, but please pray for, for them. Um, it's been a challenging couple weeks. Always stuff going on, and we love to know what's happening in your life so that we can be involved. And so um, just being connected and not just being a person that shows up on Sundays, but being involved in people's lives, using your staff as pastors in your life is a, is a real gift, and we, we enjoy getting to, to journey through life in different seasons with people. All right, today um, I want to start by telling you a little bit about one of my favorite times in history. So if you've been a part of Cornerstone for any period of time, you know that I love history, and um, one of my favorite times in history were those uh, 60 to 70 years, or one of my favorite subjects, it's not one of my favorite times, one of my favorite subjects in history is the subject of the Underground Railroad. Those 60 or 70 years where literally thousands of slaves every year would attempt to flee and head north um, to the northern states, and then after the Fugitive Slave Act in 1850, they had to flee even further all the way to Canada, but they had to flee to freedom. And the Underground Railroad is a loose network of undefined, um, unidentified, it's a, a network of people, resources, and different routes that were used to aid southern slaves as they fled north. It was made up of brave men and women, freed slaves, southern sympathizers, and northern abolitionists who worked together to get as many people out of slavery as possible. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll claim any connection to great history for, here for our church, but our church has a little connection with the Underground Railroad. Before his passing, a man named Al Garish, who was a part of our community here for a long time, would often tell me about his family farm in New Hampshire that was an actual stop on the Underground Railroad, specifically the water well out on their property. Uh, there was a way to get down there, and slaves were hidden down there and fed and kept safe um, as they made their way north to Canada. So I'll claim it as ours, all right? We can all do that together. We all need to be connected to great Christians and great history. A few months ago when I was doing some reading about the Underground Railroad, something caught my attention that I had never heard before, and that is the meaning of the old slave spirituals. The spirituals were the songs sung by slaves as they labored day after day. These were songs that they would have sung when they were very, very little and through their entire life. Songs like Sweet Chariot or Go Down Moses or Follow the Drinking Gourd are just a few of the songs passed on from generation to generation. These songs 
were and still are full of meaning. Because slaves were not allowed to learn to read or write or to go to school, it was a mechanism by which music was a mechanism by which values and stories and biblical stories were passed down one generation to another. And all of these songs were sung and they were sang so much that they were put to memory. And memory, listen to this, became the keeper of these special truths and stories. How many of you can still remember some of the songs that you sung when you were a kid. I mean, you don't have to think about it. Like, you can just recall them, right? Kids remember things. But these songs had additional significance beyond passing on stories and values. During the years of the Underground Railroad, these songs were coded with hidden messages about, their, um, about fleeing from slavery and freeing north. Hidden messages. Messages that included... Uh, Notice that help was in the area, that conductors from the Underground Railroad like Harriet Tubman were in the area. Go Down Moses is a reference to that. Whenever they'd start singing that in the fields, everyone would know what it meant. It meant the underground's nearby. This could be an opportunity to flee. But they also, these songs also included escape routes, the right time of the year to flee, and even nighttime navigational strategies as they fled north. In other words, these songs were maps and guides that they would memorize, they would sing, and they would memorize, not even knowing its full significance until they were older. So one of my favorite examples, and we're going to have like a little cheesy moment here. I'm going to let you listen to an old version of one of these songs today, just because Brian gets cheesy with history. The older, the better, so I'm going to pick an old version of this song. But Follow the Drinking Gourd contains timing and directions for their escape, mentioning spring as the best time to escape, and the drinking gourd itself being a mention of the Big Dipper. And what's significant about the Big Dipper? As you navigate, it points which way? North, North right? The way to freedom. And so go ahead and play it. I know you were all going to start singing and start clapping, playing spoons on your knees, right? All right, but try to imagine for a moment being by yourself in that wilderness, no resources, not knowing uh, if there was going to be help to, around you, not knowing what dangers were around you, not even knowing which direction you were going, and every night having to recall that song to find your way. I mean, imagine that. All you had in you was a heart in, or a song in your heart. Now, I'm telling you that story today, and we're going to use this as a metaphor throughout this series, not because I want to give you a history lesson, but I want to reframe the way we think about prayer. In the same way that those songs were put to memory, they were hidden in those slaves' hearts and minds, prayer becomes the thing that we rely on when we're in the middle of a wilderness. 
Prayer becomes the direction that we, the directions that we use to connect to God, to hear his voice, to have him point us towards greater freedom in our lives. During this series called Wayfinder, a prayer, prayer as our guide, we're going to be teaching you different ways that we can pray. There, I mean, prayer is, is, is this diverse tool, and it's like a multi-tool. There's different ways we pray. There are different prayers that we pray at different times. And it's an incredible gift once we learn it. And prayer is the thing that we rely on when we're out there on our own and we have nothing left. So, for example, we pray, we, we pray and ask for wisdom when we're trying to make decisions, or we pray a prayer of lament when we grieve. Or we pray a prayer of confession <clears throat> when we fail. And there's so many others. Next week we're going to look at the prayer of battle. When, when the spiritual realm is warring against us, there's a certain way that we pray. And prayer becomes our guide. But here's the, the, the best thing about prayer. Prayer doesn't just guide us through these wildernesses of life. And the, by the way, there are many of them. It's not just things like losing a job and, su- and suffering and sickness. But if you make a move and you're in some period of way of transition in your life, that is a wilderness. That can be difficult. Having your kids leave your home, I can tell you, is a wilderness. That's difficult. And prayer is what we rely on. So there are a number of different ways that we pray, but all of them do more than just guide us. They connect us to God because the end of all prayer is loving union with Jesus. That's what you need to keep in mind. So on the other end of our prayers is a person that knows the way through every wilderness, including the grave. And Jesus is eager to guide us through these, through these different challenges in our life. So today what I want to do as we kick off this series and give you this metaphor that we're going to use each week as a way to think about prayer. I just want you thinking about those songs for the next couple months and how they use those songs. I want to lay a foundation today about prayer so that will help us in the weeks to come to know what it is that we are asking of God and how is it that we're asking God for help. We're asking for his voice and we're wanting to listen. And so today I want to lay a little foundation for that. I want to talk about what prayer is and what prayer isn't. And then I want to spend time talking about that very important skill that is needed in every relationship, including our relationship with God, and that is listening. How many of you have attempted at some point in your life to listen to God and found that difficult to do? Raise your hand. If I had five hands, I'd raise all of them. But I can also tell you, I'd be one person to tell you that I've heard his voice. How many of you have heard God's voice as you've sought it out? It's possible, all right? It's possible, and God has a, God is generous, and he is close, and he wants to share the way with us. All right, one other thing I want to mention before I jump into this is you can text Wayfinder, the name of the series, to that text line behind me, and we'll send you back a prayer that's connected to the message today and some scripture, and we're going to do this each week. If you find those kinds of things helpful during the week, just to remind you, um, and specifically the reminder would be the prayer is a gift, let's return to prayer, um, you, can, you can rely on, on these little devotionals that we send out, and so text Wayfinder to that number behind me. All right. <clears throat> Read something the other day that surprised me regarding prayer. Uh, it really shouldn't surprise me. And uh, the study basically said that one of the few things that Americans still have in common as they think about God and spiritual things is that most Americans still value prayer. And it's not just that they value prayer, most Americans still value prayer to the point that they pray on a daily basis. Tyler Stanton, in his book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, what a title, right? (laughs) Points out that nearly half of the country still admits to praying daily, a number that dwarfs the nation's church attendance. 
<clears throat> According to Gallup studies of American spirituality, more Americans will pray in a given week than exercise, drive a car, have sex, or go to work. Tyler Stanton in his book goes on to describe the real gift of prayer, and it is that we get to know God and be known by God. You can see this quote behind me. Speaking of prayer, he says, it's an invitation to be found by God in the place that he's most faithfully been found throughout history. And what a statement, right? Where he's been most faithfully found throughout history. Not in a mega church with Broadway lights, an arena with rock, arena with rock fog machines, or in the eloquent podcast of a contrarian thinker, but in the bare silence of you and the endless expanse beyond you. And really what he's doing is describing that endless expanse. He's describing the silence in which God speaks in. Uh, Jewish rabbis often said the voice of God is silence. I like the way that sounds. A few things about prayer, though, when he, we're talking about prayer, this desire for it, being found by God. Prayer is not wishing. It's not throwing up a hope into the universe. Prayer has no connection with what we call fate or luck. It doesn't. I, I just grew up with the phrase, oh, that was, oh, we got so lucky. And sometimes we get lucky. But I've had to watch what I say at times because often I'll describe the work of God as luck and it's not. God is working. There's providence at place in the world. God is connecting the events of our life. He's ahead of us. He's behind us. Prayer is not wishing Prayer is also not deal-making. Deals like this. If you're good more than you're bad, then most of your prayers will get answered. Prayer is not transactional. It's relational. It's different from what the world calls karma. It has very little to do, if anything, to do with your own merit. It's another means of grace. Now, this is a silly illustration, but you'd be surprised the number of Christians that use prayer and relate to God when in terms of prayer the way we relate to Santa Claus. Right? If you're good and really good, you'll get what you want. Tell a lot of us think of prayer. So what happens is when we start with that notion and we begin to pray and God's slow to answer the prayer or he answers it in a different way, we think that something's wrong with God or something's wrong with us. And we miss what it is that God is doing. So prayer is not deal-making. Prayer is also not self-talk. It's not just yet another way to be positive or to speak hope into our lives. It's not self-talk because there's always someone listening and there's always someone speaking back to us. There are no disqualifiers for prayer. I want you to hear this. Whether you could say, hey, I've tried it before and it didn't work, that's not a disqualifier. That excuse is certainly not a disqualifier. But we pray as we are, and we, we come with the prayers that we can muster up. And we're even told that we don't even have to have words at times. In fact, some of the best prayers we could ever pray are just aches of emotion and longings. There's no disqualifiers from Jesus. There's no such thing as not knowing enough or being too bad or being too good. There are no disqualifiers from prayer. And prayer is relational. Remember that. Prayer is relational. It's the language of love. It's the language of family. It's the language of friendship. Over the years, certain relationships have helped me understand prayer more. And so this is one of those things you discover your whole life. Prayer is just, it's a skill. It's, this, you know, it's like this ocean that you swim in that you never discover all of it. All these metaphors are very, very helpful. 
But it's just like the relationships in our life, they're dynamic, they're growing. But I think of the relationships that we have with good friends. So good friendship helps frame what prayer is. If you haven't been with a good friend for a long time, what is it? You long to be with them, right? And then when you're with them, you want to catch up. So you might have a lot to say. But there are times when you're with a really, really good friend and no one says anything, especially dudes, all right? We run out of words way before women do during the day. One of the most common things I say when I leave work is I'm out of words. That means I go home. But friends just hang together. It's just enough to be together. It's enough to do things, experience things together. But what good friends can do is they can talk about nothing or they can talk about everything. See, prayer is the language of friendship, the type of friendship that, you know, when you have a good friend, you feel safe with that friend all the time because there's permanent to that, permanence to that friendship. And there's some safety and some confidence in knowing that they know you and you know them. It's easier to understand one another. Another relationship that helps me is just the idea, uh, the, the relationship of parents with their children. So I've been a parent now for almost 19 years. Maybe this, this probably taught me the most about prayer. You know, I just love being with my kids. And now that I have a, a son that's gone away at college, Elise and I both long all the time for our whole family to be together. Most of the time. Sometimes it gets really loud. <clears throat> and I go to bed. But you long to be with your kids, don't you, parents? And then you have grandkids. You long to have your grandkids together. You want to be together. One of the things parents love to do, they love to serve their kids. They love to surprise them and give them gifts and give them the things that they want. That's why Christmas is fun, especially when you have little kids that are so excited. But every parent knows that we don't give our kids everything they want or ask for, right? They just don't see what it is that that might do, the harm that might cause. Uh, when, when Cole was really little in our very first house, he was obsessed with the outlets, the electrical outlets in our house. And for some reason, we put outlets at the height of toddlers, which is such a great idea, I think, you know. And so we, we got those plastic things and put them in there. Well, Cole's smart, and he figured out how to pull them out. And then Cole thought, well, you can stick other things in the outlet. And I remember us saying, you know, we'd move them away, We'd say no, we'd try to teach him that there was danger there, he wouldn't get it. I remember we had to discipline, we had to give him a little swat on his butt because that consequence was far less of a consequence than if he would have gotten shocked, right? And I remember him looking at me just with you know, tears in his eyes, just anger, why aren't you giving me what I want? And I, just, I was like, oh buddy, your dad loves you. <clears throat> it's not good for you. That helps as well. Tim Keller says in his book on prayer that if we knew everything God knew, we would ask for everything that God gives or doesn't give. It's true. When we talk about prayer, we're talking about being with God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in friendship and in that relationship of having a loving father, of being a beloved son or daughter. Prayer is an awareness of God's closeness to us, of knowing that God is with us. Prayer is an attentiveness to his presence. And, and that's what one of the gifts of prayer is. It just draws our attention once again to God in the midst of a very busy, chaotic world. 
Psalm 16 is one of my very favorite pictures of prayer in the Bible, and it's not so obvious, but I want to share it with you today because it helps frame the idea of what prayer can be for us. It says this in verse 8. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Psalm 16, verse 8. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So there's some um, meaning behind what, what prayer does, but this idea of keeping my eyes always on the Lord. I actually like a, di- a couple different translations more than the NIV, which you see behind me. The RSV says this, I keep the Lord always before me. I keep him always before me. Or the NASB says, I have set the Lord always before me. <clears throat> I have set the Lord always before me. It's an intentional, deliberate focus and you know, drawing my attention that God is with me. This is what prayer is and this is what prayer does. In Psalm 16, it goes on to describe the benefits of union with God, which is what prayer produces. Verse nine, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. So peace and rest and joy comes with prayer. Verse 10, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So I set the Lord always before me with him at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Joy, peace, safety. That's an image that we carry with us when we think about prayer. I want you to have that image. To set the Lord always before you. You know, one of the interesting things about a message on prayer, what matters most is what we do with it this week. It's that time this week when we're in the car, when you're on a walk, when you wake up early in the morning and you sit in your favorite chair and have coffee and you take the risk to utter prayers to God and to listen. Now, with the rest of the time, I want to spend, I want to spend focusing on this idea of hearing God because um, as we, we, already, we already noticed, a lot of people in this room have tried to listen to God. Not everyone has heard from God because it can be an incredible challenge. But this is one of the benefits of prayer. Not only uh, do we get to share things with God, not only do we just get to enjoy his peaceful presence, sometimes words aren't even shared, God often speaks to our heart and he gives us the wisdom or the direction or the love, or the support, the power, the different things that we need. And he shares that through his voice. You know, there are diff- God has different voices. The scripture is uh, the most concrete voice of God that we're given, but the Holy Spirit also has a voice that speaks to our spirit, we're told. There's a spirit inside of you. His spirit dwells in your soul, and the Holy Spirit speaks to that place inside of you and so we can listen to him. John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said this, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. There's this idea here that, that just as sheep understand that there is a shepherd and that there's safe shepherds and they learn to distinguish the safe shepherd's voice from all the other voices, we can learn to distinguish God's voice from all the other voices. Now let me say this, this I just wanna be really clear. When I say there are lots of voices, I'm going to get more specific in a moment. I'm not saying that everyone in here is schizophrenic or has all these different things going off in their head, okay? I'm not assuming that. I'm also not assuming that that's not true. But what I do know is there is always a battle of voices going on in our, in our hearts and minds. So... How about the narrative spoken of you by other people in your life? 
I can't tell you the number of people that just hear the harsh words of a teacher from the past or a parent or a coach or a boss over and over again. Just this narrative plays in their head. You're a failure. You're never enough. That's a voice in your head. So you've got that going on. You've got to distinguish God's voice from that voice. You've got to distinguish God's voice from Satan's voice. Satan's very, very real. He's active in the world. He has access to us. And he uses different things to put, he uses his voice and different voices to put different messages in our head. So you've got to separate God's voice from that. You also got to separate God's voice from your own voice. We're people of free will. We have our own will, uh, thoughts and desires and different things. And often when we pray, we have to sort out, what is it that I'm, you know, I really want, what is it that God's actually saying to me? And so it can be a challenge to actually learn to listen to his voice. Natalie mentioned, uh, we sent a, a video message out last week, last Sunday on January 1st. And I encourage you to spend some time as you start the year in quiet places, still places, listening to God and asking God to give you a word or a phrase for 2023. To give, him a, to give you a theme as you move into the next year. What's so neat is when God gives you that theme, you see it happening throughout the year and you just feel so connected to him. You feel led by him, okay? How is it that we discern that word or phrase from different things that are in our head? I'll tell you what, I would love for the word or phrase to be things like wealth or Super Bowl championship for the Broncos. <clears throat> Seriously, these are things I would pray for every day if it were up to me. I'm not joking. <laughs> I'm a simple person. Please, Lord, more Mexican food. More Bronco wins. More time with my family. That, that, it'd be pretty simple. More time playing Legos with Jude, that kind of stuff. <clears throat> we have to discern those things from God's voice from all of these other voices. So this is what I want to show you. I want to show you some of the teaching of Dallas Willard. The Bible actually doesn't tell us a lot about distinguishing God's voice. We see that this actually has to happen. The Bible uh, gives us lots of stories of people hearing God and listening to God. Um, the Bible tells us about certain places that are helpful, drawing away, uh, withdrawing to quiet places, places that silence you, that still you enough to be with him. By the way, um, sitting in a dark room, quiet room, doesn't work for everyone. That makes me anxious. I don't like it. But many years ago, I use this illustration all the time because I think it frees up our mind when we're thinking about being quiet and still, still enough to hear from God. Um, this, this illustration really helped me as an old mentor of mine. He said what he would do to still himself, to be quiet enough to go to a place of solitude, he'd go out in his driveway and shoot baskets by himself. So that's when I started taking walks because the walk helps do that for me. So the Bible says stuff like that, like find your quiet, still, peaceful, safe place to hear from God. But it doesn't tell us a lot about distinguishing his voice. And so what we do is we rely on some saints that have gone before us. And Dallas Willard um, is, is not too old. And one of the things that he's done is he's drawn from, from thousands of years of Jewish and Christian wisdom to help us understand how we discern God's voice. And he gives us three things to help discern God's voice. So as you're listening for that word or theme, or as you're listening for the different things that God wants to share with you in the next couple months as we think about different ways to pray, I want you to keep these things in mind, all right? So this is a filter by which you use when you're discerning what God is saying to you and trying to listen, all right? So here are the three things. First of all, uh, the weight of his voice the tone of his voice, and number three, the message that comes with that voice. Okay, so remember, there's lots of voices going on, 
trying to discern God's voice, the weight of his voice, the tone of his voice, and the message that comes with that voice. Let's go through each of these. The first is the weight of his voice. God's voice is like a gentle whisper. It's described that way in the Bible. That passage with Elijah, you know, your translation says is a gentle whisper. The actual real Jewish translation says God spoke in utter silence. But people, what does that mean? So they had to kind of give us colorful language to understand. He speaks in a gentle whisper. But that gentle whisper comes with power. God will more often than not, not always, but more often than not come to you with a steady, calm, peaceful, not hurried voice. We all know people in our life that speak this way. I don't. <clears throat> I love people like this. It's like you just listen to them talk and you're like, ooh. You know. Usually they're on the radio. But a steady, calm, peaceful, not hurried voice, but his voice comes with a strength to it, a gravitas. Pastor E. Stanley Jones says, perhaps the rough distinction Distinction is this, the voice of the subconscious argues with us, tries to convince us, but the inner voice of God does not argue. It does not try to convince you. It just speaks and it is self-authenticating. It has the feel of a voice of the voice of God within it. And so there's just a different weight to it. Over time, the, the weight of God's voice will leave an impact. Now you often, you, you hear something or someone says something to you and you think it's a big deal and then you literally forget about it. When God's speaking, it has some weight to it. Like it leaves an impression. And one of the reasons God's voice with its weight leaves an impression is because God will say it usually more than once. He will speak the same thing over and over again, but it'll show up in different ways. So, you know, it, it's, I, it's funny. It's like, it's almost... I don't want to use the word it's creepy because it's not, it's, it, but it's almost like God's playing tricks with me at times. I'll read something in the scripture and then I'll spend time praying and I feel like God's saying something. And then I'll, I'll show up and I'll be with a friend and that friend will share something that's like literally the exact thing I just heard from the Lord. And I'm like, what's happening right now? What's happening? But when that thing gets repeated and it shows up in different ways, God's showing up with his weight. That gentle message that peaceful message, that strong message. It's not loud, but it's powerful. And it's in our inmost being. It's not always around us. When it's God, we will sense an immediate sense of power, of his gravitas. It's an unquestionable authority. These are things that help distinguish. Now, when, when I say authority, I don't mean like God's coming like an angry boss or an angry parent. But it's just a different voice. It's more true, it's more beautiful, it's more loving. God's voice and the weight of it is not aggressive, is not dangerous, but it's intentional. John Wesley likened the, this experience of hearing, experiencing the weight of God's voice to a gentle light that shines on you. So all of these images help us get an idea of something mysterious that takes place inside of us that we can't see. God's gentle whisper, God speaking in the silence, a gentle light that shines on us, but it leaves an impact. We remember it. So first is the weight of God's voice. So well, you, know, you know what you need when you're trying to discern whether or not it's God's voice and you're using weight? You, you need some time. You need some time to keep coming back to that and let God keep saying it, okay? 
So time is important in distinguishing God's voice. Second thing Willard shares is the tone of God's voice. We're all very familiar with the unfortunate experience of someone speaking to us with a negative tone of voice. I'm just thinking of those unfortunate times when someone has spoken to me with a condescending tone or a shaming tone or an annoyed tone or an angry tone or a passive aggressive tone. These are all wonderful experiences, right? We're, we're guilty of all of them. We're experts at these things. We're experts at negative tone. But he will not come to you with any of these tones. What happens when someone comes to you with a tone of voice like the things I just mentioned? It's hard to hear what they have to say, isn't it? Like, you're just like, you're just such a jerk. Like, I, I can't talk to you right now. You're so angry. You're so annoyed. I, you, you don't hear anything they have to say. Tone is really, really important. The voice of God will come with it with the tone, or you can say it this way, the spirit of Jesus, who is peaceful and kind and present to you, but also confident. The tone of Jesus is full of joy and courage and goodwill and love. And, and not the, the kind of joy that pretends that hard things aren't happening, because you know what else he'll do? Sometimes he'll come with you with the tone of suffering. He will come and he will suffer with you. He's a man acquainted with sorrows. But joy is the th place he's taking us, and so joy is certainly part of the experience that comes that distinguishes his voice. God's voice will always bear the stamp of his personality, the personality of Jesus. That's why it's so important that you spend time in the scriptures figuring out what Jesus is like. Noticing how he talked to people. Noticing how he talked to people in their shame and when they failed and when they felt like they were on the outside because that's when it's actually really hard to hear God is when we think we've done something that separates us from him. But the tone of Jesus is always gracious and loving and forgiving. It's amazing. James chapter three, verse 17 says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That's what Jesus is like. And that's what his voice is like. This means that any voice that bears a different or opposite tone that leaves us with the impression of, of feeling scared or dangerous or confused, it's not the voice of God. Satan's voice has a certain weight and tone to it, by the way. So his weight is aggressive, chaotic. The tone is shaming, manipulative, confusing. His tone will make you anxious and desperate, make life feel chaotic and out of control. He will work to deceive you. He'll have a tone of pride and self-hate. Listen, if those things come, it's a tell. That's not God speaking. There's a bit, huge difference between godly conviction and the shame that Satan tries to put on us. Huge difference. So the more you get to know Jesus, the easier it is to notice when God is speaking because it's the tone of Jesus. So we have the weight of his voice. We have the tone of his voice. And number three, we have the message that comes with the voice. This has to do with the, actually the content of the things that you're hearing. What it is that's being said. Now let me start by saying this. Um, people with pure hearts and good intentions often hear wrong from the Lord, okay? Another thing a mentor of mine told me, I said, how do you figure out how to do this? He says, oh, lots of trial and error. It's like, oh, that's helpful. 
but it's true. So we can get it wrong. But one of the grids of whether or not this could actually be the kind of message that God would share is, is it consistent with what's already been shared in the scriptures? Because remember, that's God's voice written down. It's his words written down. He will never, never contradict what's shared in scripture. Now this is challenging for for modern day people because a lot of us think the Bible's so old fashioned, right? Truth doesn't change. And God will not whisper in your heart something that he has, uh, he, something that contradicts something that he's already whispered to the, to the writers of the scriptures long ago. God will never contradict himself. So another thing that's happened at our home over the years, this is Elise and I getting better at parenting together, is our boys, they're just like, they could be, little, they could be tricky at times. And they'll come to, They'll come to their mom and they'll ask her for something and she'll say no. And then they'll come to me and they'll ask me. And, and they got me a couple times, all right? But I'm on to them now. And sometimes they'll say, you know, mom said that I could do this. I'm like, that does not sound like your mom. <clears throat> I could catch him in it because I know the character of their mom, and I know what she says, and I know how she parents, and I know her values. When we're not doing very good, we just say, oh, we'll go ask mom again. We just pass it back and forth, <laughs> keep them busy till they give up. It's awesome parenting technique. Hey, but it's like that with the message. This is not the kind of thing God says in scripture, so he's not gonna say it to me. Dallas Willard says, the permanent address to which God may be found is the Bible. And Frederick Meyer says, the written word is the wire along which the voice of God will certainly come to you if your heart is hushed and, you are atten- and your attention is fixed. So God, they, they go together. The word of God and the voice of God that comes through the spirit, they will not contradict each other. Uh, there, I could give you so many examples of, of Christians over the years using what they thought God said to them as justification to do something that is contradictory to the Bible. But uh, the most extreme example I can share today is I, I was reading an article about an actress many years ago who she was asked, why is it that you were willing to film a nude sex scene in this movie that you just did? Because she'd never done anything like that before. And they said, aren't you a Christian? And don't, doesn't that, um, isn't that against your values uh, of purity and an ethic of sex and sex is meant for marriage and all of these things? And she said, yeah. She said, well, I thought it was. And then I began to pray and God told me it was okay. See, we can conveniently use God said to me to give us what we want, and to get what we want. But you need to know, God's voice that comes through the Spirit will never contradict God's word that's been shared to you in Scripture. But there's all these other voices that we're dealing with, right? So a lot of times God will not just speak to us exactly what we're, we're hoping to hear, our expectations get in the way, I'm gonna speak to this in a moment. But Satan's gonna come with lots of other messages, that shaming message, He's going to tell you that the sin in your life is harmless. He will tell you that. He tells me that all the time. It's harmless. He will tell us things like we don't need God, that we're powerful enough on our own to manage our own lives. One of the things that Satan deceives us with is just this idea that he doesn't even exist. 
that there is no danger. There is no deceit. There is no um, bad direction in life. It's really just what's in your own heart. He'll say those things all the time. But what do the scriptures say? They're saying there is a path to life. God's word is a lamp to our feet. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It says the same thing over and over and over again. Look to God to make your way. But Satan will say, look to yourself to make your way. Lots of different messages. You have to be discerning because as we're trying to listen to God, he's gonna to try to confuse it. I can promise you that. He loves to confuse the core of who you are as a person. So the weight of God's voice, the tone of his voice, the message that comes with that voice, these are all helpful things in trying to discern God's voice. And I'm praying literally every day for months now that God would be speaking to all of you, really. Not just with last week's challenge, but through the rest of this series. As a staff, we know there's nothing better, that, better we can do for you than to connect you to the source. Sundays are great. Your small groups can be great. Serving is great. All of those things like lead to life. But when you have a moment in his presence, when he speaks to you, when he whispers to your heart, when he just takes a walk with you, you know what it does? It changes your life forever. It does. He gives you what you need. And a lot of times it takes time and perspective to look back on it and see that he's actually done something amazing in our life. But that's what happens. Now let me mention one thing that often gets in the way of hearing God's voice as we're trying to discern all these things, the weight of his voice, the tone of his voice, the message that comes with that voice. A lot of times what gets in the way is our expectations, okay? So something we like to say here at Cornerstone, we like to talk about being expectant of God all the time. We come together and worship on Sundays, we're expectant of God because we know he's here. God's always doing something. You can be expectant to, to know that God is always speaking to you, that he's generous, he's always wanting to share something with you. But when we go into that time of prayer and we're like, God, you gotta tell me what to do right now with this one decision, that's an expectation. Sometimes God shows up and he speaks to the actual expectation. But I found that our expectations often get in the way of hearing what God wants to share that's something different. So this is a bit of a, a discipline. This is what it means to set the Lord before us in a helpful way. It's like, all right, I'm gonna be with the Lord right now. Something may happen that's amazing. It just may be an ordinary day. But I'm gonna come again tomorrow and God may do something. But you know what I'm not gonna do? I'm not gonna put some, I'm not gonna set the agenda between, between me and God. Because part of prayer is allowing God to set the agenda of what he's going to share with you. I can tell you, when I take those walks, whether it's around the neighborhood here or the trail behind my house. When I go with an attitude of surrender, just like, God, I'm just glad to be with you. If you have anything to share, I'm glad to hear it. Guess what happens? I hear him more. Then if I run out of here, I'm like, I've got to get a decision about this right now. Or why is this happening? How, how many times do we start a prayer with why, right? All the time. It's all right. It's, we pray as we are. We pray honestly. But it's helpful to release some of those expectations as we're attempting to listen to him. All right, worship team, you guys can come out. We're leaving some room today. Um, we're gonna worship together. But I wanna take us back to the psalm that we looked at a moment ago, Psalm chapter 16. You know, in verse eight, it says that I keep the Lord always before me. At my right hand, I will not be shaken. So it's a beautiful picture keeping God in front of us, but also that he's always with us, all right? The idea of friendship. But you get to verse 11, 
that language of at your right hand shows up in a different way. This is what it says. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Okay? At your right hand. So now it's speaking of God the Father. And who's at the right hand of God the Father? We're told this in 1 Peter. It's Jesus, right? Seated in the place of honor. And so you can, you can imagine this happening different way, differently that um, you know, maybe God's on our right and, and, and then Jesus is to his right. But I actually like to picture this as a, as a circle. Because we're also told in Ephesians that we're seated with Jesus at his right. So there's this picture that we're face to face with God. And in a circle, he's at my right hand, but then Jesus is at his right hand, and then I'm to the right hand. It's a picture of family. It's a picture of community. Prayer is the entrance. It's the re-engagement in the family of God, which is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and Spirit. God loving himself, submitting to himself in three different persons. It's amazing. That's why Jesus prayed, to be one with the Father and with the Spirit. The communication that happens between them is the same kind of communication that we can have as we pray. We are joined to God. By the way, that mention to God's right hand, our eternal pleasures. You know what he's speaking of? He's speaking of Jesus. With Jesus, there are eternal pleasures. The joy of every longing heart is met in him. And so I just want you to bow your heads. Aaron's gonna lead us in a time of reflection as we worship together, but I just want to pray a short blessing on you as we start this series. And the blessing is simple. It's that your heart and your mind would be open, that you'd be reminded throughout the weeks to make time for him, that you'd be patient, and that you could discern his voice. And so, Father, I pray for that. I pray that my friends would hear your voice. They'd notice your presence. I pray you help them set apart quiet time to be with you wherever that's at. Make them, give them creative thoughts of how to do that. And then, Lord, as they wrestle through this, this challenge of prayer and distinguishing your voice, I pray that they would hear you and only you. May they hear you. May they separate your voice from the others. And, Father, may we use prayer in our lives as a guide. When we don't know what to do, we have nothing left. We don't have another step to take. We have no wisdom on our own. May we go to you so that you may lead us. In Jesus' name.